even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the compassion of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are different, that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell. I'm after your hearts, not your heads, is a refrain often heard by college students in Dr. Mitchell's Bible classes. In his own words, his goal was to help you fall in love with the Savior, and his teachings always tended to fill your mind with the Lord Jesus Christ. He was also a pioneer radio speaker. He was heard live every weekday on radio stations in the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never Dr. Mitchell continues in Philippians chapter 1, verses 7 through 11 here on the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast. Well, Dr. Mitchell looks at the prayer of the Apostle Paul for these believers in Philippi. He says this prayer is the prayer of a pastor for his church, wanting them to be in his heart. And Paul also prays that the believer's love would be exercised from discernment so as to prove what is excellent. And the importance to us is that we will have a pure and blameless heart in the day of Christ. We will be filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God himself. Well, here's Dr. Mitchell, Philippians chapter 1, verse 7. We have been taking up in our past lessons of where this church started, the first church in Europe which you find in the book of Acts, chapter 16. And where, you remember, Paul preached the gospel and a church was established in this city of Philippi. And the moment the church was established or the gospel was proclaimed, you have opposition. And the opposition was from Satan and from men. And then you have them rejoicing in the gospel and precious souls were saved, like the Philippian jailer and his household. When you come to the book of Philippians, he writes from jail again. Now he's in Rome. Now remember the church at Philippi was started in the midst of persecution, suffering for the gospel's sake. So they knew something about suffering for Christ. Now the apostle Paul, as I said a moment ago, was in jail in Philippi for preaching the gospel. 
And now he's in jail again. He's in Rome this time. He's a prisoner of Jesus Christ for these Gentiles. And he speaks in the beginning of the chapter, of chapter 1 of uh, Philippians, that he's writing uh, to the saints at Philippi, and so on, and it's Paul and Timothy who are the bond slaves of Jesus Christ. They're sold out to the Savior. Theirs was a life of dedication to the Lord. They were in love with Christ, and they wanted to, to communicate this wonderful truth of a Savior who can save men and women from sin. Even those men being thrown in jail and being beaten up and their clothes torn off them and their feet put in the stocks and in a dungeon, they praise the Lord. And as I said a while ago, you have the footage of it by the Philippian jail and his whole household was saved. Now, Paul is in jail again. He writes to this people at Philippi. Now, we had in our last lesson... Um, his thanksgiving from verses 3 to 8. We have the cause for his joy, and I again remind you that about 18 times in this little epistle of four chapters, we find that joy and rejoicing is mentioned. In fact, joy is the keynote of Christian experience. So he thanked the Lord for their fellowship in the gospel because of their service to the Lord and because of their gifts, they shared with him in the gospel, in the, in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you have the reason for his confidence in verse 6. And this we were dealing with in our last lesson. He which hath begun a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. And we spent some time on this. When, when a person accepts a Savior... He immediately becomes a child of the living God. And I wonder if I could just stop here again for a moment. Because I receive mail from many people. I even get phone calls. And I find that there are people who, who have for a number of years professed the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, but they've never had assurance. And they're robbed of that peace of mind and peace of heart robbed of that assurance because of circumstances, because of experiences, because of feeling. Remember, please remember, that the moment a person, any sinner, I don't care who they are, when they accept the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, they become a child of the living God. This, this is a permanent thing. This is established once for all. We're not saved by Faith in Christ plus what we do or don't do. We are saved by a, a Savior who put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And that sacrifice will never, never, never be repeated. So that when you come and accept the Savior, you're saved with a perfect eternal salvation. Relationship with God is established. You become a child of the living God. You're joined to the Savior. But you're still down here in frailty. We're still living in a world that's opposed to the Savior. And all of us have weaknesses of one sort or another. Or our circumstances are not very sweet. And the danger is to become uh, self-sympathetic. Or we become discouraged because of, of circumstances. Or we're discouraged because we don't do what some other Christians are doing. Now, the thing to do is to remember... 
relationship was established at the cross. But now it's a question of daily fellowship. As you walk with the Lord, he puts you in his circumstances. He deliberately allows this for the purification of your faith and for the Lord to be magnified in and through you. And so you become strengthened because of the tests and trials of life. We're not free from tests. Indeed, faith is purified, never destroyed. Did you hear me? Faith is never destroyed by tests. Faith is purified by tests. You see, well, Mr. Mitchell, mine must be awfully weak faith. Yes, well, the woman who just pressed through the crowd and just touched the Savior and said, if I can just touch his garments, I'll be made whole. Very, very weak faith, as if her, his garments had virtue in them or value in them. But the Lord didn't turn away her weak faith. He met her need. He'll meet your need. But now for Christians... The need is for daily fellowship with the Lord. Please, dear Christian friend, keep short accounts with God. Keep short accounts with God. I mean by that, when you realize you have failed God, uh, confess your sin to the Savior, and he's promised to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And go on with God. You can't bring back the past. And revel in the Savior you have today. Live for him today. Never mind about tomorrow or yesterday. Live for him today. And each day, live for him. And you'll find how easy it is to grow in the grace of God. Remember, Paul says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. So I say that God starts a work, he's going to finish it. And he's promised that fulfillment. In fact, this is what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing today. If I were to take you into the book of Hebrews 7.25, for example, wherefore he is able to save perfectly all those who come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And then you have the future. The past is the cross, the present is his care, and the future is the day of manifestation. Until the day of Jesus Christ is going to take care of you right until the Lord comes. Now, why don't you revel in that? Rejoice in the Lord, in the unchanging purpose of a sovereign God. Re rejoice in the unbreakable promise of a never-changing God. I'll tell you, friend, it's wonderful to have a Savior who not only bore away our sins and saved us from the guilt and penalty of sin, but to have a Savior who's with us every day and can give you deliverance from sin and yearns for your fellowship. He never yet turned anybody down. He never yet turned anybody down. He that cometh to me, I will in no wise under any consideration turn him down or turn him away. Now, that's what you have in verse 6. Now, in verses 7 and 8, you have Paul's yearning for these Philippian Christians. Let me read it to you. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all, in the compassion 
of Jesus Christ. My, what a yearning this man had for the people of God. In spite of their frailty or their weaknesses or their failures, here was a man who was absolutely devoted in his love toward God's people. This man, Paul, had a great heart for God, had a great heart for God's people, and had a wonderful heart for the gospel. That's the kind of men we need today. May God grant those of us who are the servants of the Lord, whether you're teaching a Sunday school class or a children's class or a pastor or a teacher or a missionary, whatever you may be, whatever your part may be in the body of Christ, don't get discouraged. And may the Lord, the more you walk with the Savior, the more you love his people. I mean just that thing. The more you see of Christ, the less you see of yourself. And the less you see of yourself, the more you love God's people who are around you. This is one of the greatest needs today, as we shall see in a few moments in Paul's prayer, what he prayed for, which we have in verses 9 to 11, Paul's prayer for these Philippian Christians. Let me read it to you. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are different, that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Now here you have a prayer for discernment. You remember in the book of Ephesians, in our studies of Ephesians, we found there was a prayer of Paul in chapter 1, which was a prayer for knowledge. And then in chapter 3 of Ephesians was a prayer for strength and for fellowship, especially for fellowship. In the book of Colossians, in the first chapter, you have Paul praying that the will of God might be known to them. But now here in Philippians, it's a prayer for discernment. Now in verse 9, I want you to mark this verse 9, where he says, this I pray, that's the first request, Remember, he has them on his heart. He has every one of these Philippian Christians on his heart. Strong ones and weak ones, mature ones and babes. The very fact that they love the Savior with all their frailty and failures, they love Jesus. And Paul loved them. He had them right in his heart. This is a pastor's heart, by the way, where he takes his people and takes them right into his heart. It's what you have. And what's the first prayer, first request? That your love may abound in knowledge and in all discernment, in all judgment. You know, I was struck with that in reading that through the other day and again this morning. He says that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in discernment. Now, it's true that love never compromises the truth. And oh, that we might have a love that would discern things that are different. But how far can I go in love and not compromise the truth? Oftentimes, people will quote to us 1 Corinthians 13. Love suffers long and is kind. 
Love envieth not, love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Love never behaves itself unseemly, never seeks her own, and so on. Yeah, but here we have a love that shall increase in knowledge and discernment. Now, this is not peace at any price. Don't misunderstand me. But it's a love that can discern the things that are different and yet manifest love. You know, and I'm going to say this very bluntly. I'm being realistic about this. I, I know certain groups that, that so, are so strong for, for their doctrine and so strong for separation that they rule out a great majority of God's people. Not because a man disagrees with me on certain parts of doctrine doesn't mean that I should rule that man out of my fellowship. As I wrote to one dear man, the book says, Corinthians 13, we now just know in part. You know in part and I know in part, but why can't we have fellowship together in the Savior as long as Christ is the object and the center of our faith and of our love? There ought to be, we ought not to break fellowship. And sometimes people take verses of Scripture and push them away beyond was the intent of the Spirit of God when he wrote it. Now, Paul is praying that the love of these Christians at Philippi might abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. You know, I'm going to give you another aspect of this, whereby we could pray for knowledge and discernment. Oftentimes, Christians are very prone very quick to judge another Christian. And we judge the other Christian in the light of what we know, in the light of our conscience. We want the other man to walk and to live and to act the way we think he should walk and act. If he doesn't act the way I want him to act, then I sit in and criticize him. And then tell everybody else too. I wonder if Paul has this in mind when he says he prays that their love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. You know, oftentimes we criticize people, we criticize other Christians, we sit in judgment on other Christians, not knowing the full story. We don't know the whole background. We don't know all the circumstances. Uh, we don't know the whole business, and we're too quick to judge. And oftentimes, when we found that we've been wrong in our judgment, we haven't got enough grace to apologize and to say, I misjudged you, and I'm sorry that I told so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, and you never can stop it. So this man's testimony is damaged because you, in ignorance, judged your brother. Believe me, I need this prayer, and we all need this prayer, that our love may grow more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. You see, may God grant to us, before we judge anybody, we'll manifest love until we know all the facts in the case. And when we know all the facts, the chances are we love them all the more. They need our love. They just need our love. You know, it's an amazing thing that our Christians who are dying, and when I say dying, I'm using that in a very loose sense, it just, I'll take, change my word. 
There are many Christians who are yearning, simply yearning for somebody to manifest some love to them. Christian love, Christian understanding. Oh, that God may cause my love and your love to increase in knowledge and in all discernment. We may be able to discern that this man, even though he's in failure and weakness, he loves the Savior. He loves the Savior. And what he needs is not to be damned or to be judged or to be criticized, but he needs a little love. He needs encouragement. He needs somebody who understands him. He needs somebody who can draw him closer and closer to the Savior. Now, now it may be that Paul had in mind the fact that love never compromises the truth. That's true. But my friend, be sure you know all the truth when it comes to this question of compromising. I, I know there's a very fine line here between uh, am I standing for the truth or am I overemphasizing my love for somebody else, irrespective of what they believe or what they do. Like I got a letter from a person the other day in which he, he was damning some Christians because he, his ground for that uh, was the second epistle of John where he talks about if somebody doesn't bring this doctrine have nothing to do with him. Separate yourself from him if he doesn't bring this doctrine. Do you know what that doctrine was? The issue was, is Jesus Christ God incarnate? This was the great theme of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who was in the bosom of the Father, he had declared him. And the issue was the incarnate word of God. And if anybody comes to you that denies the incarnate word of God, then separate yourself. But I find Christians separating themselves from other real believers who love the Savior just as much as they do. And so we rob ourselves of real fellowship, of real joy in the Spirit, and we hinder the going forth of the gospel of Christ. I'm just saying this because I'm talking to Mitchell as well as to you. Now the second, the second request in his prayers in verse 10. He prayed that you may approve the things that are excellent, or if I may change the word, you might approve, you may approve the things that are different. Again, it's a call for knowledge uh, and discernment to prove, to discern the things that are different. Uh, instead of sitting in judgment with a lopsided idea of truth, uh, let, let us be able to discern by the Spirit of God the things which are different. You remember Paul speaks of that in Thessalonians chapter 5, why we ought to prove all things and to hold fast to that which is good. And then the second, the third request in his prayer was uh, that you might be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. In other words, he, he's praying for an act of love uh, that you, you may be sincere without offense uh, until the coming of the Lord. You remember we had that in Romans 13, verse 11 and 12. It's high time to awake out of sleep for our salvation is nearer than when we believed. It's high time for us to throw off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light and so on. 
And he goes on to say we are to be sincere in character and without offense in conduct. This is what he's talking about. He's praying for this. Sincerity should always characterize the believer in Christ. Certainly we ought to be sincere in, in all that we are and all that we do. We ought to be sincere in our character. We ought to be without offense in our conduct, neither giving or taking offense. I see we are in verse 6. He's going to perfect us until the day of Christ. But in verse 10, we ought to so live, glorifying to the Lord until the day of Christ. Like you have it in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 to 24. Now the God of peace sanctify you wholly. I pray God your whole being, spirit, soul, body, be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. So let us today be sincere in our character and may we be without offense in our walk today. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.